Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Later in the show, we'll hear from A.D. Dolan, who's the chair of Ashridge Park FC, which is a grassroots club based in Wokingham in Berkshire, and he had some great stories to tell. But Kieran, I, I've waited, I think, well, two years to say this, but we actually had breaking news while we were interviewing uh, A.D., on Wednesday morning, actually, you, you very excitedly jumped in, typed with the, the news that Thomas Tuchel has been sacked. Yes, yes. So uh, Chelsea uh, have have moved. Uh, and I think we, we've seen a bit of a pattern uh, this season uh, in terms of managers have a bit of a grumble and then they get the sack. Mm. So, yeah, we, we saw that with Scott Parker. Uh, I think Brendan Rodgers is perceived by some as uh, a bit of a dead man walking. He, he had a, he, he's had a few moans as well. And Thomas Tuchel has been just whining mm. you know, he's, uh, for, for the past few weeks, d- despite being given a quarter of a billion pounds uh, to play with in the transfer market. So, uh, yeah, the, I'll, I'll be working out the totals for uh, Chelsea dismissals since uh, 2003. And uh, when, uh, when Roman Abramovich came in, I think, I think we, we could potentially be going through the £100 million barrier since then in, in terms of all the payments they've made to, uh, to managers uh, in terms of sackings, wrongful dismissals. I think Conte had a, had a claim against the club, mm. which was successful. And also, uh, the, uh, the, 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 effectively, the transfer fees um, that they paid. Uh, yeah, when when, when Villas Boas came to the club, I think they paid a, a large amount of money for him to leave his existing club. So, so that it's a it's a ridiculous amount of money that they've spent over the years in terms of trying to get the right coach uh, in the in the job. Yeah, don't work it out during the pod. Work it out after the pod, and we'll do it for the next pod. How's that? Um, I think a lot of people will actually have lost money betting on Brendan Rodgers to be the next manager sacked after you your unfortunate spanking of them on. Sunday, because the body language of the players and Roger's comments afterwards made it seem that he that relationship was about to end, didn't it? Yes, yes, uh, yeah. They they didn't seem very interested. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought we played well, and, and, and a win's always a win. But uh, the, the lack of effort from from Leicester was uh, was very noticeable. So uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think a lot of people would be surprised that he he he's he survived beyond Tuchel. Yeah, I guarantee you one thing that they put a huge effort in because we'll play them the day after their new manager comes in, as I imagine will happen with Chelsea as well. Um, I, I, I'm really upset about Thomas Tuchel uh, being sacked because I was going full on the irony with our first news story being the the, the biggest one of the year. Uh, the news that West Ham are having issues with their club's inaugural official decentralised asset management partner, which it sounds like a job title in two Ronnie's sketch. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not entirely sure what their official decentralised asset manager partner is. I imagine it's some kind of token, but there's issues going on, Kieran. Yes, um, and uh, I think a lot of credit uh, on this story has to go to to two of the, the finest Rottweilers in uh, in journalism, Martin Calladine. Uh, if, if you don't follow him, folks, uh, yeah, ugly game on Twitter. Uh, Martin does a fantastic job, and Joey Durso as well. 
uh, at The Athletic who have highlighted uh, this, this rather strange relationship. This, this company called Peak Defy, um, which appears to run some form of crypto lottery. Uh, Now, for me, crypto is a lottery to begin with. So, (laughs) um, but uh, I think what uh, what Martin and Joey have uh, have called into question, you know, what what exactly is an official decentralized asset asset management partner? West Ham don't seem to be very clear on this themselves. Um, But it it is one of these slightly obscure, slightly uncomfortable feeling. Uh, organizations and it's got two twitter feeds one of which is uh, in english and it's got around about 55,000 followers and the other one is russian and uh, you know is this an opportunity for for money or or, or assets to be transferred you know, from from one of those countries to another where does this stand in terms of um, the, the position of the UK government, you know, the, you know, to have a football club associated with an organisation which is associated with Russia. And also we have to say that, you know, our, our beef is with Vladimir Putin. Yeah, you know, I've, I've, I used yes, to teach in Russia, uh, as, as you know, and have many friends back there. Um, but, uh, yeah, is, is Peak Defy, um, is it, is it a good, uh, is it a good crypto coin uh, in which to put your money all I will say is that I, I I had a look this morning and it has fallen in value by ninety seven percent already this year. So uh, West Ham is associated with an organisation which is has has you know, lost its, it, all of its value. So uh, my understanding is I, I think West Ham are uh, are doing what we've seen with a few clubs. Yeah, we saw this with Norwich, we saw this with Manchester City that they they got themselves involved. I think the same happened with Barnsley. Um, I believe at Charlton, who had some sort of crypto coin partner on the back of their shorts, that's now disappeared. Um, once again, blinded by the check. And I, know, and I we use this glib phrase, but they take the money first, and they do. They appear to be, do their due diligence afterwards, mm. and, it, and it doesn't look clever. You know, we we want football to be an industry with which we can take pride with which we can feel that we've got you know, a degree of comfort. And it's not just one of these stories. It's again and again and again. Uh, and, it, and it does make you feel slightly uneasy uh, about the relationship between uh, the football industry and, and organisations such as this. Yeah, you no need to say that about Vladimir Putin, Kieran. We all know that you have no beef with the ordinary Russian in the streets, and uh, speaking of <laughs> speaking of breaking news, you'll be delighted to see uh, or hear a, a little strap has just gone along the bottom of my laptop saying Graham Potter to Chelsea? Question mark. There you go. Just thought I'd cheer you up with that news. Oh, that, thanks, and, thanks a bunch. And and to, uh, um, if you want to restore your pride, though, Kieran, I mean the interview we just had with Aidy Dolan at Asridge Park FC is certainly put a spring in my step, and I'm, I'm sure our listeners will agree. Uh, before we get there, though, unfortunately, one of our other stories is also about crypto. Um, Stake, the crypto company which sponsors Everton and Watford, have been hit with a $400 million lawsuit. Yes, I mean, there's actually there's two stories in relation to Stake. First of all, there's some sort of squabble uh, in, in respect of... Um, the, the, the people that set it up, one of the guys who was connected to the two founders of a stake, um, a guy called Chris Freeman, saying that he was eased out 
Uh, so he's put in a huge lawsuit. I think the two founders are Australian. So a big, big hello to Nick Kyrgios, by the way. Um, <laughs> I, I think if, uh, if if Nick Kyrgios thinks that his life is bad, can you imagine Nick Kyrgios at Newcastle versus Palace or or the West Ham game or our game in terms of VAR decisions at the weekend? I, th- I think the thing that Matt Ladd might spontaneously combust. Yeah, um, yeah, we'll pass over the Newcastle one. Everybody makes mistakes. <laughs> um, so, so, so that's that's one issue. Stake.com yeah, does appear to to be doing quite well in terms of its profile. It's 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 gone again for the legitimacy and normalisation by association with football clubs and celebrities. So, so I think they they're involved with with Drake. Uh, you know, and if these people start start to promote the products, then then that's a way of tapping people in. So yeah, there, there's an issue there. Um, the other issue in in respect of stake um, is Everton won their their first uh, match in the Carabao Cup. But, yeah, congratulations to them for that. And and stake, who are their front of shirt sponsor, said, "Oh, we're going to do a special promotion on the back of that." If you wager, if you wager five thousand dollars, we will give you a free ten dollar bet. Whoa, whoa, exactly. Um, and so a lot of people say, "Hold on, five thousand, five thousand dollars? How, how, how long? You know, is this spread over a long period? You know, you, you got, you got, to, got to wager five thousand dollars in a week in order right. to get your ten dollar prize." Now, let's let let's just a little, a little bit careful here. It, if somebody goes and spends five thousand dollars on on one bet and it loses, that does sound really dumb. You could, in theory, do five thousand one dollar bets on effectively the equivalent of heads or tails, and you're not going to lose that five thousand dollars. But yeah, that would be an extremely long winded and tedious process to go through. Um, to be Fair to Everton. Uh, you know, this has been highlighted to them. Uh, they they have come under a lot of pressure from uh, a variety of Everton fan groups since this relationship uh, started. Um, and, and I believe now they have said to Stake, we, we, we are not being connected with any such promotions in the future. Uh, front of shirt, fine. But don't use our name for, for something like that because it just looks yeah. absolutely terrible. Agreed. Um, you may be right with the Graham Potter news, Kieran. I think it may be a spoof because the same uh, companies have set a ribbon across the bottom of my laptop saying Ted Lasso has also been linked with the job at Chelsea. <laughs> uh, so stand down. Here's, I mean, here's some heartbreaking news, Kieran. I, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to read this without my bottom lip going all a tremble. Uh, it, it seems that a shortage of private jets is causing a problem for some of England's biggest clubs. What 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 a world we live in, Kieran. Exactly, exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, there's 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 a link here to the Chelsea story because yeah. um, when Chelsea lost three nil at Leeds, uh, Thomas Tuchel said, "I'd travel up by coach." Yeah, and people are going, okay. Uh, you know, what, what, we're not feeling a lot of sympathy here. Um, by all accounts, uh, they had to, Chelsea had to to charter three private jets to get to Leeds, and uh, they 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 had to all catch the coach. 
back home. And frankly, if I if I if I'd just been stuffed three uh, nil and I was Todd Bowley, I'd, I'd make them walk. <laughs> but um, there, there were no return flights because of staffing issues. But there, there is actually a much broader issue uh, in terms of there is a, now a crisis in in jet travel. Uh, as far as this country is concerned, and here we're really focusing on on domestic flights. Um, so, so here's here's my in depth uh, investigation. Uh, you, you can see how I spend my weekends. Yeah, what what else could I do after beating Leicester five two? Um, but to to go into this into some depth, um, there's a number of factors why clubs aren't able to travel by by jet, or they've, they've they're actually is a much broader tra- transport problem. First of all, and uh, we we go to our old friend Brexit. Because you can only use UK registered aircraft for domestic flying, so of course that that reduces the choice. Previously, you were allowed to use uh, any any aircraft from yeah. from any of the the, you know, the twenty odd uh, uh, EU nations. So we, we've lost that um, as a result of COVID. You know, so the, these small airlines they weren't able to fly. So some of them have gone bust, and and uh, there's one called uh, Jota or Yota Aviation, which used to provide flights for six clubs. Well, Yota Aviation has gone bust, so we've got another supply problem. Um, there's there's a limited pool of aircraft available in general, and and, and it's it's reached such a crisis crisis in, in inverted commas that clubs are now considering chartering. Boeing 737s. Now, Boeing 737 has got you know, 200 plus seats for, you know, normally they'd be looking for much smaller aircraft, which have got 40 to 50. Um, the commercial airlines are, are who would perhaps consider chartering to the football clubs are saying, well, actually, you know, it, we're in August, September. Yeah, August, certainly, as far as we're concerned, is our peak demand period. It coincides with school holidays. So they're saying, we're, we're not going to give you any aircraft. Um, train strikes have meant that... There's increased demand for flights, and you know, a lot of the train strikes are, are are taking place on Saturdays. And you know, we, we've had this discussion about you know, is, is this going to impact the Brighton versus Palace match on on uh, Saturday week? Um, and and then you've got the the what if issue. Um, you know, air, aircraft are not a hundred percent reliable, and, and they have to be tested and they have to be maintained to a very high standard. So, what happens if you do charter an aircraft and during the the pre-flight maintenance, something is found to be wrong. You what you were able to do relatively easily in previous years was to simply say, "Okay, uh, we'll, we'll just jump off this one and we'll go and find another one." There is no spare capacity, so that means that there there is the potential problem of uh, you know players and 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 staff of clubs being stranded at aircraft. Um, you throw into that. It's a World Cup year where the World Cup's effectively, you know, taking out you know, four, six weeks of the season, which means we've got a really condensed season. And that Saturday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Wednesday approach, which is being undertaken by all of the clubs playing in Europe, they they claim, you know, and, and you can understand this to a degree. You know, if we don't fly, if we, if we have to, then then it's going to take hours and hours, and there's going to be insufficient recovery time between matches. So. It's it is it is a big issue. Again, how, are we going to feel a lot of sympathy or any sympathy for 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 millionaires and, and their travel issues? Probably not. But that's the background to the story. Do you know, I'd make them fly right here. I'd, I'd love to see pampered Premier League footballers just queuing up with the rest of us <laughs> taking their chances. Yeah, you know, the odd kickoff might be delayed by five hours, but yeah, you know, fine. Um, Morecambe. Uh, 
who I doubt have ever chartered a private jet, have been put up for sale by owners' bond group investments. Yes. Um, and again, this, this is a much broader issue. Um, Morecambe also borrowed money. They, they took out some form of loan, which, which has been secured on some of the properties um, owned by Morecambe Football Club. I believe the, it's, it, it's not linked to the stadium itself. Uh, I understand, I think it's the Shrimpers Trust um, have have some form of of either a golden share or, or they own the stadium, but that's not been the case. Um, the issue in respect of, of Morecambe is that the Bond group is effectively controlled by two guys called Colin Goldring and Jason Whittingham. They are also the owners of Worcester Warriors uh, uh, Rugby Club, yes, which has a, a long list of issues. <sighs> Unpaid wages, yep. unpaid taxes. I believe one of the players who was living in a in a property owned by the club, uh, he was evicted last week because Worcester Warriors haven't been paying the mortgage, so the property's been repossessed. So it looks like a mess. Uh, I mean, Morecambe have done fantastically well to 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 make the progress that they have in football. Um, they they run a pretty tight ship as, as a club. They I think they probably got the one of the lowest, if not the lowest, uh, wage budgets in, in in the division in which they're currently playing. Um, if we take a look at the owners, they sort of say, yeah, nothing to do with us, Gov. Um, one of the owners, uh, a guy called Colin Goldring, he's he's recently been struck off um, in his uh, uh, struck off the solicitors register. Um, so you go, okay, uh, been struck, and yeah, I, I'm. I, I work for a professional body, you know, chartered accountant. We know lots of other people working in in other professions. Um, the one thing that your professional body is really loath to do mm. is is to strike you off. You know that that is very much a last resort. So I don't think it necessarily reflects particularly well on the individual concerned. Um, fit and proper person. You know, so you just a solicitor struck off the register. Still deemed to be a fit and proper person to own a football club, but, you know. To be fair, he's also resigned as a director, as has uh, Jason Whittingham. Uh, so they both resigned as, uh, as as directors of of Morecambe. Hopefully, somebody will come in. Um, you know, have, having I'm a great believer in in being able to travel the you know, length and breadth of the country to, to go and watch football and, and places like Morecambe and Barrow and Harrogate you know, that have come into football in relatively recent years following promotion from non-league is for any sort of football train spotter is, is something to look forward to. So mm. uh, the, the, the club itself, I think, is on relatively solid foundations financially, but it has at the same time lost money uh, it's uh, it's always a cause for concern. Yeah, luckily I'm a comedian, so there's nothing I can do bad enough to get me struck off the comedian's register. But um, what what would the asking price be for a club like Morecambe? You think? Um, I, I I think you'd be you should be able to buy it for you know, if if you've got the property assets involved, either high six figures or you know one to two million. I, d- I don't think there'll be a significant price involved right. because there will be a relatively limited pool of of people who are willing to buy it. Uh, so I, I, I don't think the price should be too much of a barrier to somebody who who wants to take on the responsibility. The big issue with running a football club is that they they tend to lose money. Yeah. So it's it's not the it's not the purchase price. It's it's the maintenance costs. Uh, Cambridge United has bought Abbey Stadium almost twenty years after it was sold. 
Yes, uh, and I think this is really good news. Cambridge United seem to be ticking an awful lot of boxes um, uh, in terms of the way that they're being run. Um, so, so they were sold to uh, an organisation called Grosvenor Properties, um, which because the club had cash flow problems twenty years ago. Um, it's it's now got new owners. It was paying around about three hundred and fifty grand a year in rent in total. I think yeah, that would of course include the property. So that will be a cost saving as far as the the club is concerned going back. Uh, but what's really good to see is that the new owners have said. Um, we are a progressive club. We're setting up a shadow board, and there's going to be a golden share. So right. that will mean that the that the shadow board, which will be you know, put together on you know, on the basis of of, of a number of uh, of fan groups, um, it will be able to approve any further property deal as far as the stadium is concerned. Yeah, and, and we've said time in time out that once once a football club is separated from its stadium. That can be uh, that can be a disaster. There's not that many fantastic stories uh, following the ground being sold. So, so having this as a form of protection, you know, fair play to the owners and and uh, all, all the best to the people at Cambridge. Yeah, we have one more story, Kieran, before that lovely interview with A.D. Dolan. Uh, and I would say, Kieran, that this was a heartwarming story, were it not for the fact that we are living in the fifth largest economy in the world. Uh, Celtic and Rangers fans. United last weekend ahead of their game to fight the cost of living crisis. Yes, um, and this is again testament to um, yeah you know, we are rivals. We 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 like to pick holes in our rivalry in terms of the the relationship with the other club, but we're still football fans. The vast majority of football fans, I think, are from yeah you know, certainly you know of our age group are from a particular background and there is there is a crisis going on in terms of food poverty and and fuel poverty and just you know hats off to uh rangers and celtic fans but also the everton and liverpool fans who came together to to put money into food banks um you know i'm i'm sort of slightly connected with with food banks as well um if 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 you can just you know, if you if you've got a spare spare few tins or some packets of rice or or anything, um, it does make a difference. You know, no nobody, uh, and I know that there's some you know that there's some stories in some of the tabloids about oh, it's you know it's it's scroungers that go to the food bank and they're spending all their rest of the money on this that and the other. That that's not the case. You know, I, I've done deliveries of food to people in in receipt of these things. And what I've had to, see, you know, what I've seen, you know, I'm I live a comfortable middle class existence, is is soul destroying. And as you rightly said, for a uh, a successful economy or a so called successful economy, the distribution of resources and, and you know, I'm, I'm not and I'm not a socialist. Um, the distribution of resources is is wrong, and and uh, the fact that we've got football fans coming together makes me so proud to be a football fan. But as you rightly said, why on earth is this taking place? I, I, I was at a meeting yesterday at Palace, foundation meeting, and we're, and we're talking to the club about using parts of the stadium as warm rooms during the winter where people can come and just be warm for a couple of hours because they can't afford to heat their own flats or houses. It's, it's 2022, Kieran. It, it's, it shouldn't be happening. But as you say... 
it's a source of pride that football fans come together to try and do something about it. Um, and that sort of links into our, our interview, because uh, we love hearing talking about the Man United's and Barcelona's of this world, but we also like to reflect on grassroots football, and you can't get more grassier or rooty than Ashridge Park FC in Wokingham. And we spoke to Chairman Aidy Dolan about life at that level. I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Aidy, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself and the history of the club. Is it true you were started at a barbecue? Uh, yeah, thank, thank you, Kevin. Thanks a lot for having me on. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm a Geordie uh, in exile uh, down in, in Royal Berkshire. Uh, came down here for work, as, as many of my uh, fellow Geordies do, um, because obviously the, the streets down here are paved with gold, as you know. <laughs> uh, it can get quite slippy. Um, but but as soon as I was down here and, and then we, we settled in and had a family and uh, like like most dads, the first thing, most important thing you think is, well, where are my kids going to play football? Um, so um, I was on the hunt for a, for a local football club and a lot of my friends pointed me in the direction of this club, Ashridge Park FC, uh, based in Walkingham in Berkshire, the, the hotbed of football. <laughs> um, and, and it looked like a great setup. Um, so I got involved in it about 10 years ago, took my lad along to a little under sixes uh, soccer school on a Saturday morning. And, uh, you know, you try and help out. And I'm, I'm putting the balls away at the end of the session and I look around and the coach is gone. And, oh. and suddenly I'm in charge and, and fast forward, I'm, I'm the chair of the football club. So right. um, like, like, like most great clubs, it was formed uh, over a beer. Uh, this one uh, in, in a bloke's back garden, because his his son was was registered at, at the at the bigger club down the road, Walkingham, um, who who he couldn't get a game. He was warming the subs bench up every every week in 1991, and that kind of paints the picture of of what grassroots football was like in 1991. It was pretty much built for those kids that had a, a level of technical ability, and it wasn't really built for everyone. Um, and so he said to his mate over the garden fence, "Well, you know, sh- should we form our own football club?" And, and thus the club was born and, and, and it really accelerated in the first couple of years to really grow the number of teams and the number of players quite quickly um, to the point where we are today, 31 years later, with 29 youth teams, uh, two men's teams, um, just under 400 registered kids. So it's a, it's a story of, of a lot of grassroots teams. That's a lot of teams, isn't it? Even even Kieran thinks Berkshire's posh, by the way, and he's from Sussex. Um <laughs> Looking at your website, I love your value. Tell us about your status as an FA community club because that's obviously very important to you, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's just a name at the end of the day, but it means a lot lot to us. And the FA now have changed some of the nomenclature around that. So it's now 
they call it an, an England accredited club, and, and you get to have the little three lions on the on the badge, which the kids love. Definitely. But but effectively, the reason that we wanted to pursue this status, of which I think only five percent of grassroots clubs in England ever managed to achieve, was it really shows it really shows parents kind of what you are as a club. You know, it, it means that in order to achieve that status, you have to have you have to have coaches that, that have achieved a certain level of qualification. Um, you, you need you need the odd coach who's gone beyond that and, and, and gone even higher than that into the level twos in, in UEFA qualifications. Um, you need to be able to show a pathway for children to develop through the age groups. And, and then at the end of the day, you have to have a, a sound and sustainable financial plan. Now, that would probably be quite useful in a lot of professional clubs, mm. but... But at, at our level, it, it shows that, okay, we've got a five-year financial plan, which to parents shows that, well, actually, th- th- this isn't just a, a bunch of mums and dads who are carrying bibs and balls around. This is this is people who are, have devoted a bit of time into looking at how can we deliver the best possible experience for kids and and, and, and organising that and being able to present that with, with all of our, our governance and our financial planning. Yeah, we'll come on to the finance later. Um, I'm going to move on quickly because Kieran's on mute, luckily, because otherwise you'd be hearing him giggle at the phrase "bibs and balls." That's exactly the sort of thing he likes. Um, I also i love I love your emphasis, Ad, on respect and on developing youngsters not just as players but as human beings. Is that one of the reasons you think that you're so popular? I think so. I think I, I, I listened to the pod um, a, a little few weeks back. You had the Grimsby chair on, Jason yes, Stockwood, Jason. Yeah, and, yeah. and I was really surprised to hear that he said, "Well, in our academy, you know, we're all about you know developing young, really decent young people, uh, and if they end up being footballers, then then, then that's a bit of a bonus." I thought, well, yeah, that's what we do. You know, mm. that that the the, the, the the object of the grassroots clubs is to do that. We're we're not really there to produce professional footballers." We're part of the pathway, you know. Harry Kane would have started at his local grassroots club and then gone on, but we're not there to make professional footballers. We're there to develop young people who understand the importance of, you know, respecting the game, respecting their opposition, you know, um, determination, teamwork, trying the best in everything that they do. If they end up being decent footballers, it's almost like a bonus. Um, so, so for us, that's what it's all about, and and that really gets through parents because suddenly mums and dads will, will tell their friends, "Yeah, oh, it's a really, really good club, Ashford. You know, it's really nice, and it's a lovely atmosphere." And that's what we want. We don't really, we're not really bothered about, oh, we're top of Division One, but if we end up producing an environment where kids are laughing and happy and smiling and enjoying their Saturday mornings, then we've absolutely achieved what we want to do. Yeah, speaking of Division One, what what league is it that your clubs play in? Oh, we're all over the place. So we've got, as I said, 29 youth teams. We've got a couple of uh, teams in Division 1. We've got a couple of div- teams in Division 10. Um, the, the thing that binds them all together, though, is, is that they enjoy it. They love it. They, they train during the week. They play on a Saturday morning at our home ground, and they're playing side-by-side side on pitches right next to each other. Um, so, you know, as long as the kids are happy, that's all we're bothered about. Well, speaking of your home ground, Aidy, this, this is a very important question. Because you are clearly a club with a sense of humour as well. Uh, I love this bit on your website, which says, where do we play? Where does the magic happen? The stadium of dreams, the fields of inspiration, dot, dot, dot. St. Crispin School to the right and round the back. Which, which is lovely. So the, my question is, though, Aidy, do the kids laugh at your jokes? No, of course they don't. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the, the fun of running a football club is in the, is in, is in the committee meetings. 
and <laughs> thankfully we have a fantastic committee and 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 on our committee we have someone called dave and every club needs a dave oh. and, uh, and and dave dave is our head of digital uh, which basically means, which basically means, he runs the website. And, and uh, the, the unfortunate thing about that is, we give Dave free reign uh, to basically run that content, and uh, he gets very excited about it. So, so yeah, so Christmas has become known as you know the, the field of dreams. Um, the, the kids just just kind of roll their eyes, to be honest. Um, but but again, it's, it's about it's about creating that atmosphere of you know we're not we're not taking ourselves too seriously. You know, it, it is about the kids. It's not about the, you know dads living their dreams through some seven-year-old. It's not about being ultra-competitive. Um, it's just about having fun. And that fun comes to life on a Saturday at about 11 a.m. because the manager's WhatsApp group comes to life with tales of, of glory at Sandhurst <laughs> or absolute despair in, in Sev Reading. Um, so, so, yeah, it's, a, it's an exciting place to be. Every single person listening to this pod now who's ever played football at any level will be picturing Dave in their head. <laughs> and, and I, I, I just imagine how excited it was when Dave got home and just went, head of digital, thank you very much. Uh, there's, there's a sense of social responsibility too about your club. Tell us about your relationship with White Croc FC in Gambia. Oh, this is great. So a, a lot of clubs will, will bundle their old kits up at the end of the season and, and shove them into, into bin bags and, and off they go in some lorry to somewhere in Africa, and you hope that you're helping someone out. Um, but what we wanted to do was really form a relationship with a club because we'd started to hear stories of unscrupulous behaviour once that kit arrived at the port in Africa. So if you've shoved a couple of Premier League tops in the bin bag as well, then those those tops basically become currency. And what that means is you know, that kit might not get to the kids who need it. Um, so through a mutual connection, we were able to make contact with, with White Croc FC uh, and a chap called Amadou Jame, who runs that club. Um, and it meant that we had, had an absolute direct line to a, to a partner club um, down in, in, uh, in Africa. So it means that every six months, um, we, we put a load of kit in a container and it goes directly to them. Um, and it means that they can kind of feed back their experiences. But what's more important than that is our kids have started to record some of their training sessions and send messages to their teams who are doing the same back. So we're forming real connections. And it's it's almost the benefit of that as well is, is to our kids because let's face it, those kids uh, in Gambia are, are not going to have the same experience as those in Berkshire. And it, and it allows the kids who play for us to get a sense of you know the responsibility that they've got and, and, and experience in the fact that there are others who aren't quite as as, as, um, as, as comfortable as they are. And, and that kind of extends now, though, to the things that we're doing back here at home. And, you know, there are cases of financial hardship. Um, and, and this thing, I mean, this year as well, is taken on quite a few Ukrainian refugees. You know, there's some kids have arrived uh, in the UK and they've just got the clothes on their back, but they've grabbed yeah. a football. They brought a football with them because that's what they want to do. And it's such a great escape for those kids when some of them have got some real problems and struggles in their lives to just turn up on a Thursday night and train with friends and play on a Saturday morning and get a, a real experience and enjoyment from it. So it's something we take extremely seriously, um, and especially in the girls' side of the game now as well. So we've we, we've noticed in working with the FA that there's a real drop-off in girls' football at teenage level, and a lot of that is around about body image and, and how they feel that they look mm-hmm. on a football pitch. So we've worked with our girls' teams and our, and our kit suppliers to create a kit for girls 
And we've also created a, a sports bra fund. So again, talking to some of the girls and, and them going through their parents and what's important is, you know, sports bras are really expensive, apparently. Didn't know this, but uh, mm. but apparently that's the case. And, um, and, and, and it might actually dissuade some families from going out and spending that money. Um, and then they end up not playing football. So we've just said, look, really discreetly, if if you if we can help in any way, then just let us know. We'll take care of it. So we've we've set that fund up as well. We think it's really important. I, I absolutely agree. I think that's fantastic. Um, Palace for our foundation are looking after a group of Afghan teenagers who oh, wow. all ter- all turn out to be brilliant footballers as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so who knows? In five years' time, they might be playing for us. But that. That notion about the retention of girls in, in teenage years, is that's a new one to me. That's really important. So- it's, it's a real drop-off, a, a real issue in the game. But I think what I think what's great now is the Lionesses have driven that on a bit. Yeah, and, and, and the girls are starting to shape that a little bit. But we have to support them from the bottom up. Well, talking about money then, you know, we are a football finance pod, obviously. You mentioned the forward planning but how are you financing Ashridge Park? What are your major costs, and is it a constant struggle? Well, um, it, it, unfortunately, we haven't got any any Saudi-backed donors who've, who've come <laughs> in. Um, but um, effectively, to run our club costs us about sixty thousand pounds a year. Um, in, in terms of covering that, um, we, we cover that through eighty percent uh, is covered through registration fees. Around about ten percent of that is covered by our sponsors and some grants, uh, and the rest is is by profit that we run through an annual tournament, which is really important to us. So, so yeah, that that sixty k we have to find that every year, um, and and is it a struggle? Um, not 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 a huge one. I mean, that, and that's part of the financial sustainability bit. You know, we've we've got people in place through our treasurers who 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 produce monthly reports for us as to where we need to go and what we need to do in terms of finding sponsorship. And we've got some really supportive parents and local companies who help us out with that. But that, that, that 10% bit on the end of the tournament is incredibly important to us. And, and it, it's a really big event in our calendar. Um, and it's not only a money maker, but it, in order to run it, we need about 100 volunteers from the club. And they're all parents. And the beauty of that is it brings all of those parents together from different age groups to reinforce that kind of feel of being a community club. Well, Mike Ashley is looking for a new club. Bring him in. Well, I think I think we could work really well with Mike. Um, he, he did a, a really great job at, at my club, Newcastle. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think he's looking for a great opportunity. I think I think Barcher could be the place for him. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that he comes in and starts cutting costs at Ashley Park? <laughs> FC. Um, I think I think we can reduce the quality of these bibs. <laughs> um, uh, Tracy Crouch, in her fan-led review, emphasised quite rightly the importance of grassroots football. Do you hope that may actually lead to clubs further up the pyramid realising that they should be sharing some of their money with clubs like you? Um, well, I mean, it, it is, of course, already happening in, in a sense in terms of the... Um, the Football Foundation, which really is is the vehicle for the FA, the Premier League and the government to start to trickle some of that vast sum of money down to the grassroots clubs. And, and we've seen that in the last couple of years through the development of a brand new 3G facility in, in the Walkingham area, uh, of which we are a partner club. So in order to build these facilities now, the Football Foundation needs to know that there are clubs in those areas that, that will use them absolutely sweat that asset to its full extent 
So we partnered with our local council to get the funding for that facility. So effectively, that they can prove that we're going to use it. Um, and, and then we get a brand new 3G facility out of it. On, on the back of that, we've also got at our home ground at Crispin's, we've got new goalposts, we've got new nets. Um, and, and that's developed really from about four or five years ago where we were, we were playing on a very basic, hard sand astroturf. Uh, and now we've got this great facility in the middle of the town. So the, the money is there. It, it, it is starting to trickle through, but clubs have to go and look for it. You know, that you've got right. to be proactive and, and, and get involved and put those submissions and put those grant applications in. Uh, you've worked with the Premier League, though, haven't you, through your day job? Uh, yeah, I have done a bit of work with the Premier League and, and a few Premier League clubs. So um, for the last um, 23 years, I've been an air traffic controller at Heathrow. So that's why I moved down south. Um, and and it, it, was a, it was a great kind of link, really. So... I got in, um, a, a, a chap called Kenny Swain got in touch with me, who you may oh, or may yeah. not have heard of. Oh, yeah, Kenny absolutely. Swain. Yeah. absolutely. So um, European Cup winner, winner with Aston Villa. Yeah. Turns out that Kenny Swain is a massive aviation geek. Uh, <laughs> loves loves aeroplanes. Um, so he, he emailed into air traffic controller and said, I'm really interested in this. Um, and then someone said, oh, Ian, you're, you're quite into football. Do you want to meet Kenny Swain? So that was about eight or nine years ago. And, um, and Kenny at the time, and still does work for the Premier League, and said, would you be interested in coming to talk to the Premier League about air traffic control? I thought, well, what's the point of this? Because clearly the Premier League doesn't want to know about, you know, aeroplanes taking off and landing. Um, but it, it was the kind of things that we do that they were interested in. So it was about, the main focus was around something called challenge and be challenged. So in our profession, we have to have an environment where any individual can challenge another one and say, I'm not quite sure that what you're doing is correct there or safe or whatever. And that person needs to be able to respond and say, oh, okay, I, I think you're right. And we have said that we have a completely open culture in air traffic control. And you have to have that when you're dealing in a safety critical environment. Now in football, that's not really the case. A junior coach cannot go up to the first team manager and say, I'm not sure about this session that you've put on today. I think we should do something else. You'll probably find themselves marched out of the, the training ground. So they were really interested in that idea of being able to challenge one another. And they're also interested in how we develop our instructors to be more mentors rather than just trying to spot errors in people. Um, so that really developed on and I ended up working um, for a few clubs, including Tottenham Hotspur and Crystal Palace, actually. Wow. Um, so went into Crystal Palace's academy and had, had a great few sessions with, with their guys as well. A very progressive club, I must say, who's looking outside of football as many of the uh, professional clubs are now, to try and find that extra few percent to, to get their whole organisation and their whole coaching structure to work at a higher level. Ah, well, maybe you could work on our transfer policy as well. <laughs> that would really help. Um, that's fascinating. That's really interesting to hear that clubs are looking at. I mean, because you, you can't imagine any link initially between air traffic control and Premier League football, but it's interesting that there are people at Premier League football clubs who are just looking, as you say, to yeah. find something to give them that extra 1%. And what's, absolutely. I mean, Kenny Swain must be delighted as well, wasn't he? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So um, so he, he's really glad at how it's all went out. But he's, he's quite a forward kind of thinking guy. And, and, and they've, they've gone and developed that further. So they've gone into lots of different companies who do lots of different things um, to try and look at, well, how can you help us? Um, so there's the obvious things of going to the military and doing all the assault course stuff and 
and learning all of that stuff. But I think they've also got other big organizations as well, like like um, blue tech companies and uh, people like Google to say, well, how do you how do you develop ideas? How do you how do you give people the freedom and the environment to come up with new systems and new ways of doing things? Because football can very much be a, a sport where you follow. Uh, uh, countries and clubs so we generally lag behind the Spanish by about five or ten years and we follow whatever you know take attack of football we'll do that for a bit then we'll do something else but it's it's a it's a it's an idea of, of being able to develop their organization so they can come up with new ideas themselves. Uh, Ada your enthusiasm and your passion for grassroots football is obvious to anybody listening to me so what are your ambitions for Ashridge Park? And is there anything that our listeners can do to help, especially those that are down there in Berkshire with you? Um, well, ambitions really is is sustainability. I mean, that's that's what you want. I mean, anybody that's involved in the running of a grassroots football club is merely a steward. You know, they're just a custodian of the club for a, a short space of time, usually for when their when their their child happens to be signed up as a player. What tends to happen is that that player will then turn eighty and go off to uni, and suddenly you know you're still picking up balls and bibs and cones um, <laughs> because there's nobody kind of backfilling those roles. So I guess what we want to do is, is is produce an environment where the next generation can come in and pick something up that's got a really good solid foundation, that's got a long-term plan, um, and then we can develop in, in a direction that the next generation wants to take it in. So it's it's getting people involved really and, and getting people involved behind the scenes because as you understand, you know, volunteering for anything can be a bit daunting. Um, but but I, I would say that w- whatever effort you put into running a grassroots football club, you're paid back tenfold in the rewards that you get of seeing the kids every Saturday morning. Aid, it's been a pleasure talking to you. It really has. Thank you so much. And if there's anything we can do to help you in the future, let us know. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Kevin. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that interview, Kieran. And I, I think it's nice to be reminded that 95% of football in this country relies on people like AD and Dave, head of digital, who just <laughs> are just enthusiastic and excited about giving young people the chance to play football. That's That stuff about trying to keep teenage girls playing football with sports bras, it's really important. I didn't know that. And it's it's that's the sort of thing that a club can quietly get on with. And it's also interesting... Uh, and who knew that we'd have two aeroplane stories in the same <laughs> in the same pod? But it's interesting to hear Andy say because normally, because I, I was expecting him to say, "No, we're desperately short of money. The rest of football needs to help fund us." But it, 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 it's the opposite. He said, "In fact, money is there. Money is trickling down from the Premier League and the FA. But you just have to go and look for it." Yes, yeah. I, I thought I thought it was a, it was a life affirming. Listen, as far as I was concerned, you know, AD was so positive and so enthusiastic, which which is which is comforting to hear. Um, and uh, yeah, at, at a time of uh, you know, the, the grassroots is in crisis in some parts. It's it's interesting to know that there are some funds available. Um, I, I also spoke to to AD before the interview, um, and he was saying they were really looking forward to the start of the season, which is supposed to be taking place. Uh, this Saturday, but um, lots of local councils around the country have not uh, have not marked the pitches or put the goal nets in because the grounds are too hard. 
So oh, you know, again, this this is is this a case for saying we you know, do we need a greater investment in three G pitches where where you know weather concerns? Yes, we're used to waterlogged pitches. Yes, we're used to frozen pitches in winter, and that's one of the things we tend to grumble about. But uh, I've, I've never known football football matches to not pay, take place because they're unable to mark the pitch. Yeah. Um, thank you to everybody who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. That's very kind of them. And if you'd like to join them and make a small monthly contribution to our pod, please go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, as always, folks, thanks very much for your support for the show. Uh, Patreon is, is one way in which you can do that. Um, and uh, another way is to uh, is, is to give us a review um, and to uh, go to your your podcast app. And if you can give us five stars, if you think we're worth it, we're uh, we'll be most grateful. Um, and and if you want to uh, if you want to say something about the show, you know, we're always listening to the feedback. Or or you might even want to say that uh, you'd rather have the show presented by Thomas Tuchel and Rishi Sunak, both of whom are looking for work at present. And, and uh, yeah, we, we wouldn't be that offended. I, I don't think producer Guy would like having Rishi Sunak on because you know what producer Guy's like with people that are richer than him. And there, there aren't many of them. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the